God bless you. It's so good to be back again with you today, and thank you so much for coming. We realize it's not always possible to travel to a service somewhere and to fellowship with the other people there, so we bring that service to you wherever you are, anywhere in Israel, anywhere in the world. And we hope you'll be encouraged today as you discover God's peace and His promises for your life. Now, would you open in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 39? And that's where we're going to be today. And you know, we'll also put those verses up here for you in the video just to make it easier for you to follow along. You know, today I'd like to talk to you about even in the valley. Here's what I mean. We all have times of trial that come our way. Those times of trials that seem to knock the very breath out of us. One day everything was fine. The next day, everything's turned upside down. Nothing seems to make sense anymore. We had family and friends before, and now it seems like we're all alone. There was a sense of stability and reason before, and now our GPS is broken. We don't know where we are. We don't understand how we got there. We don't know what's going to happen or even how we're going to get out of the situation that we're in. And when you find yourself in this kind of trial, in this valley in life, it's easy to think that maybe God is mad at you for some reason, that He's punishing you for something you did wrong and that He's turned His back on you. But no, in reality, the opposite is true. He's brought you into the situation you're in because He loves you greatly and He knows that He can count on you to trust Him in this trial even when you don't understand, when you don't understand what He's doing. In fact, the bigger the trial, the bigger God's calling is that He has for your life. But many people give up at the first sign of trouble. They uh, are holding on to the Lord and trying to trust His leading, but they just give up at the first sign that problems are arising or they don't think He's answering them anymore or He's with them anymore. But those who keep on holding on to Him and trusting in His guiding and His leading will see the amazing things that He's going to be doing through them. You see, you're already having everything that you need to safely navigate through that trial, through that valley that you're in. Now you may be saying, how can that be? I don't even know what's going on. I don't understand why this is happening to me. I don't even know when it's going to be over. And I don't see any reason at all for why I'm here. Well, really, you're already in a situation where you have everything that you need to know. Here's what I'm saying. Because you know the Lord and He is all you need in any and every situation, everything is going to be working out okay. In fact, you really don't need to know what or how or when or where or any of those things. All you really need to know is who. And when you know that the Creator of all things is there with you and that He loves you greatly, and that's all you need. When He's with you, you're going to make it through that valley of trials. He'll see you safely through and out to the other side. You'll see His miraculous provision. You'll know His wonderful healing. And you'll be filled with His wonderful joy. In the end... 
you'll realize the wonderful things that He accomplished through you because you stuck it out and you stayed with Him and you didn't give up. And He trusted you because you're His child and you know Him. And He's all-powerful, so He can do anything He wants. And on the cross, He's definitely showed that He loves us so much, greater than we can imagine. So between those two things, God being all-powerful and loving you as He does, what else do you need to know? He's on your side. He's with you. He's promised He'll never leave you nor forsake you. That's all you need to know. And that's the way it was with Joseph. In our chapter today, we're going to see Joseph's story is very much like what you and I go through. Uh, maybe you haven't tied it together and you don't see Joseph as being in the same situation that you're in. Well, think of it like this. Joseph might not have been in exactly the situation that you're facing today, but he was in trials that he didn't know what was going to happen. He was in trials that he didn't know how he got there or what his future was going to be. Everything was turned upside down. Sound familiar in your life today? Let's look at Genesis chapter 39 and see what happened with Joseph. It says in, in Genesis 39 verse 1, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, the officer of Paro, that's how we say Pharaoh, Be'ivrit in Hebrew, and Paro, the, and he was a, Potiphar was an officer of Paro, the captain of the guard, the captain of Paro's guard. And he was an Egyptian. And he bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Remember, Joseph's brothers had sold him to a band of traveling Ishmaelites who were going down into Egypt. Then it says in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Now that's a real important verse right there. The Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Potiphar, the captain of the guard for Paro, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Verse 3 then continues, And his master, Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything that he did to prosper in his hand. So Yosef, that's how we say Joseph, Beavrit in Hebrew. So Yosef found favor in his sight and served him. And then he made him, that is Potiphar made Joseph, overseer of all of his house. And all that he had, he put under Joseph's authority. Verse 5 continues, so it was from the time that he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field, inside and outside. Everything was being blessed because Joseph was working for him. Verse 6 then continues, Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. That's an amazing sentence right there, that verse. We'll stop right there and talk about these. Potiphar was a very wealthy man. He was the captain of the guard. He was the head of security for the king of Egypt, Paro, or Pharaoh as you would say in English. He was the head of security. He was a very wealthy man. He had a lot of things. But here he is. He's so impressed with this young man, Joseph, 
that he puts everything, not only in the house, but out in the field, all of his livestock, all of the other servants, everything in Joseph's hand. And he didn't care about any of it. He didn't even have to check it. All he was concerned with was the bread that he was eating at the meal each time. That's what he knew. The rest of it, he had confidence that Joseph was taking care of everything. Now, how did that happen? Joseph was being blessed by the Lord. Notice that the Lord did not give Joseph anything in particular like that. He did not make him wealthy, but Joseph was faithful in taking care of things that were not his. He was faithful in caring for another person, even a master, even someone that controlled all of his pay, someone that controlled everything that he did, someone that had absolute authority over Joseph. Joseph treated him with respect and he loved him. Now, I know that there are many evil masters that have existed throughout the centuries. And we see evil and good kings throughout the centuries. And we say that God, of course, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings, but He is what we call a benevolent king. He's a king that looks out for the people that serve Him. He doesn't treat them harshly. He doesn't treat them bad. He doesn't ask them to do hard things or, or things that are wrong. He doesn't act in a selfish way. All of His thoughts are toward us. All of His things that He does are for our benefit as well. Yes, they bring Him glory, but they're for our benefit as well. And He left heaven where he's worshiped by multitudes of angels, too numerous to even number, worshiped 24 hours, seven days a week by the angels who say, Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. He left his throne where he was worshiped always by all of creation that he has created by his hand alone. He made it and he came and became a man and died on a cross of wood, yet made the hill on which it stood. And he did all of that because he loves you. He loves us. He did all of that because he loves us. So now we see Joseph's situation. And remember now from our previous chapter, Joseph is now in Egypt because he was sold into slavery by his brothers, by his own family even those closest to him, his family, his refuge, they sold him just to get rid of him because even his own brothers, the ones who knew him best, hated him. And now he had no control over anything happening to him. After a short time, the people that he was sold to even sold him to somebody else. Joseph didn't know what any of these people were like. He was simply sold to the highest bidder. He wasn't loved. He was property. He was sold to the highest bidder. He had no control. He had no say at all. Nothing in his life was in his control. He had nobody to care for him, to look after his welfare, his health, to see if he was hurting that they could comfort him. Joseph had nobody 
But Joseph had God. Joseph had God. And even though Joseph was not allowed to choose his own ways and plan his own life, God was there with him, always watching over him, caring for him, protecting him, leading him, healing him, watching over him every second of every day, every night. And God even made all the bad things that were coming against him to somehow turn into something good. Now here's what I'm saying. God was all Joseph needed. And today, no matter what trials you're facing, no matter how alone and how helpless you might feel, no matter how dark that valley that you're in, even now God is with you, even in the valley. He is with you and He will see you safely through, through to the other side. So just rest in His care. Just rest in the Lord. Now let's read on from verse 7 and continue going through the chapter. It says, Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And then it says in verse 7, And it came to pass that after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph. In other words, she looked at him with lust in her eyes and in her heart. And she said to him in verse 7, she said, Lie with me. And verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me except for you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so it was in verse 10, he said, As she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not listen to her. He did not heed her. He did not do what she was asking, to lie with her and to be with her. He's talking about sexually there. In verse 11, But it happened about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men were in the house inside. Verse 12 then says that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. Same thing she had been trying to convince him to do, and now she's grabbing hold of him by his garment. She won't let go of him, but he left his garment in her hand, and he fled, and he ran outside. Verse 13 continues, And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house, and she spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought to us a Hebrew to mock us. She's speaking about her husband. My husband brought to us a Hebrew to mock us, and he came in here to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I had lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. She's lying, of course. She's lying. There were no other witnesses, just her and Joseph in the house at that time. So verse 16 says, So he kept his garment, uh, so she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Verse 17, Then she spoke to him, the master, with words like these, saying, That Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to me to mock me. And it happened as I lifted up my voice and cried out, that he left his garment with me and fled outside. 
She's telling a lie, of course. She's accusing Joseph of what she did wrong, not him. She did it. And like in politics so many times today, one side accuses the other people of what they themselves are doing that's evil. Verse 19 then continues, So it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him in a prison, into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the prison. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. It was Joseph's doing. He was responsible for them. And the last verse in our chapter today says, The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with Joseph. And whatever he did... The Lord made it to prosper. Now, there's a lot to talk about here, but let's just kind of go through it where this section of Scripture started. Joseph was a good-looking guy. I wouldn't know what that's like. But basically, Joseph was a good-looking guy. If you go to Israel today, I'm sure you'll see a lot of good-looking guys there. And I've even heard the girls tell me how, how many good-looking guys there are in Israel and beautiful ladies too, you know. But... God doesn't look on the appearance. The Bible says that God looks on the heart of a man. He looks right past that face. He looks right past that physique you've been working on at the gym. And He doesn't look at any of that. He looks straight through to the inside and sees what your heart is like. People look on the appearance. God looks on the heart. That's the real you, the you inside. The spirit is what lives forever. And that's what God looks at. And He looks at what your intentions are, what your thoughts are. You may say pretty words to somebody, while behind your face, you may hate that person. That's what politicians do a lot. But God knows the truth. God is all about truth. And God's Word is truth. And he despises deception of any kind is what the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. He despises deception of any kind, lies. Some people say, well, I want to be a secret agent for God. I want to be a spy and no one will know that I'm a believer. And then I'll talk to people in private and then secret. And, then, and of course, what they're saying is that way I won't be persecuted and I can still share the gospel. Actually, you see, God desires for you to share the gospel openly, boldly, so that people can notice that you do not fear men because God is with you. God doesn't have any secret agents. Don't you hide your faith. Are you hiding your faith today? Are you hiding your faith thinking that, well, you know, God doesn't mind a little bit of deception as long as I'm talking to somebody in secret about His Messiah? He does mind it. God is truth. He doesn't want you lying to try to represent Him. He doesn't want you deceiving other people 
to represent God because God is truth. He doesn't deceive other people. He tells you like it is. What he says, he means, and he means what he says. And you should be the same kind of person. You stand for the Word of God. Share God's love. Care for the poor. Do the things that are after God's heart. Be a man. Be a woman after God's own heart. That is the reward in itself. And the Lord will be with you and never leave you nor forsake you. Now we see Joseph is in this strange place. Far away from home, as we said earlier. Far away from family and friends. But even here, we first see that the Lord causes Joseph to have favor with the stranger who has become his master. He's just doing his job. Now this probably didn't happen in a day or a week or a month. But over time, Potiphar, his master, noticed that everything he told Joseph to do turned out good. And that God blessed it. Maybe he worked with the flocks and God multiplied the flocks. Maybe he worked with difficult people who were serving Potiphar. And God changed those people's hearts. And everything that Joseph worked with and did that Potiphar had assigned to him to do, God blessed it. And Potiphar, even though it doesn't say that he's a religious man, he looks at this and he's wise enough to see, wow, this young man, this is too many things now to be just coincidence. Everything that I ask him to do turns out really well. And he's my servant. And yet look at the wisdom that he has. And so he starts putting Joseph in charge of more things. If you're faithful in that which is least, you'll be given more. You see, that's a principle that God has for you too. So be faithful in what God gives you, and He'll give you more. Now, let's talk about this temptation that Joseph faced. He had this appearance that was a handsome guy. He was a good-looking guy. And this lady, who was the wife of Potiphar, was attracted to him. And we see this happening. And Joseph gets in this difficult situation. She comes to Joseph at first and says, Hey, lie with me. Let's, let's get together. No one's here. My master is not here. My husband's not here. You and I can just like uh, do these things and no one will ever know. At first, she just made it nice, I'm sure. At first, she just hinted around, but then the hints became a little stronger. And then she kept telling him, but every time she did, Joseph ignored her and would not allow himself to fall a victim to that. And so she was starting to get a little bit desperate, and she kept becoming bolder and bolder. And she asked him so many times, oh, come on, come on. You, you don't worry about God. You just come in here. We'll have a lot of fun and, and this will be fun and everything. And no one will ever know. But Joseph did not allow himself to be alone with a member of the opposite sex. He knew in his own heart, because God had put this knowledge there, that being in a room alone with a member of the opposite sex was a recipe for disaster for God's people. Because there are people in the world today that will simply lie about you. You think, well, I'm just not going to do anything, and then they won't have anything to accuse me of. No, they'll accuse you of things even though they know that you didn't do them. 
just to try to sink your ministry, just to try to discredit you because you're making them look bad. They're not living a godly life and you're not trying to be a holier than thou person by telling them, well, why don't you be like me? I'm holy and you're not. You should be like me. You're not doing that. You're just going about your life quietly, living your life for the Lord. And they look at you and they look at you as a challenge. It's like a hunter. Hunters hunt some game to conquer it and to kill it. And some of these people are trying to kill your ministry by looking for things to accuse you of. But it's not enough just to not do those things. You have to abstain from all appearance of evil as well. Joseph didn't know that he was alone with her in the house. There were a lot of servants that Potiphar had, and usually there were servants of Potiphar, other guys in the house there with him. So there were witnesses that if she had said, oh, you tried to attack me, the other witnesses would say, no, no, he didn't. I saw them. And he never did anything like that. But Joseph just happens to go into the house this one time and they're alone. And he finds himself alone with her in this house. And so she is going to try to sink his ministry if he does not lie with her and have sexual relations with her. Billy Graham, the great evangelist, had four rules in ministry. And this was at a time over the last 60 years or so when many evangelists and pastors and preachers were falling because of accusations from secular people. Some of the things that they did wrong were true. And they repented and it ruined their ministry anyway. But some of the things they did wrong were true. But many people did not do any wrong but they could not prove to other people that the accusations were false. And so Billy Graham came up with these four rules of ministry. Many of these evangelists, and you, you hear all the time the term television evangelist, and look, you can't put them all in one category. There's many good television evangelists who don't talk about money and they're there just to give you God's Word and they're teachers of God's Word and there's nothing wrong with television. It can be used to glorify God or certainly as you know it can be used to not glorify God and there's nothing wrong with being an evangelist. An evangelist is simply a, a person who spreads the good news. Bevrit in Hebrew, it's levaser, levaser. And blessed on the mountains are the feet of those who proclaim the good news, levaser, who, who bring the good news. You see, that's the gospel. It's good news. So there's nothing wrong with being on television or being an evangelist. But they have this stereotype that's developed in people's hearts and minds today that everyone that's on television is evil and they're just concerned with money. That's not true. That's not true at all. And it's strange that God's people are the ones that are being attacked. And many times by people who don't even have facts or don't have evidence that that person has done anything wrong. So Billy Graham came up with four rules to safeguard ministry of people who are in ministry. And these rules were very wise, given to him by the Lord, no doubt. And so these rules 
have saved a lot of people from false accusations. And here they are. Number one, never be just one person in charge of a lot of money. Have other people to be accountable to. Make sure that other people are there to watch you and you hold each other accountable because if you're just there by yourself, well, guess what? You're going to be tempted to do something wrong, to steal some of that money, to do this or to do that. But God doesn't want you to do that. And we're not supposed to do those things. So if you want help to be accountable, you bring in other people to help you manage that money and to be accountable to. And then that way it helps keep you out of trouble in your ministry. If somebody gives you 10 shekels a year, or if somebody gives you 10,000 shekels a year, whatever it is, do this one rule and have someone else help you look after the money. You yourself, don't just give yourself a bunch of money from your ministry. Take a salary that other people write the checks so that you can take the salary. And then that way you're not just writing yourself whatever you want to give. We go through an accounting agency to do our payroll at the Shepherd's Light, and we are audited, and our records are looked over every year for our nonprofit at the Shepherd's Light, just so we will have a third party to be accountable to. And in addition, we have a, a minimum of three people that look at our finances every year, and that's not that's even before taxes. And so these three people know what the accounting is like and knows how the money is spent. So when we make a commitment to you to spend this money faithfully in ways that the Lord would approve of, this is what we're doing. And you know that a lot of our ministry is, is to plant churches in Israel and to further the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere in the world, but also to care for the poor and those who are in need and those who are hurting as prescribed in Matthew 25, where Jesus said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and in prison and you came to me, ministered to me. <laughs> Jesus said, this is what he wants us to do. This is what his sheep will do and he will reward you for that. So be faithful in that. You take care of others, and God will take care of you. Don't you be in it for yourself. If you think of ministry as a way to have money and get rich, God is going to judge that. If you're a believer and you're using this to just get wealthy with the money that people send you to care for others and to plant churches and to bring God's word to other people, God will judge you on that. You might have it comfortable here on this earth for a while, but when eternity comes on the scene, you're going to have to answer to God. Then there's other people. I've seen this where people pretend to be a ministry and they say, oh, give us your money. We're bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ and you never see any work about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just a scam sometimes, not all the times. There are many, many good ministries in Israel. And that brings us to 
our next points that Billy Graham said. The first one was to be accountable to other people with this money that God may entrust you with. The second is never exaggerate numbers or lie about what God is doing through your ministry. If you're doing that and you're just trying to do that to increase donations, God will judge that. Remember, God's hate, God hates deception of any kind. And even if you're lying about how much good your ministry is doing, God hates that. That's a lie. God is truth, and He wants you to be true and faithful and never lie and try to scam somebody out of money or tell them any lie at all. The third rule is never speak evil of another ministry. And that's why I say there's many good ministries in Israel. People ask me all the time, well, should we send our money to you, donations to you, because we want to bless Israel? And I don't tell them, oh, yeah, of course, send them to us. We're ready to receive your money. No, of course not. <clears throat> we say, you know what, brother, you know what, sister, there's a lot of good ministries in Israel. You can do the research. Yes, we do this work. And other people do a wonderful job, too. You just pray about it, and you do what the Lord leads you to do. We don't like to ask people for money. In fact, we have a rule. We don't ask people for money. And those of you who have known me for any length of time know that whenever you start talking about money and you want to donate to the shepherd's light, I usually pretty quickly change the subject. I tell you, well, there's an address on there, but hey, how are you doing? What, what's the Lord doing in your life nowadays? And did you see what happened? <laughs> you know, I try to change the subject because I don't want to be seen as asking for money. God has always provided for us. And if you're in ministry and you're worried about doing it yourself and asking for money yourself, why don't you just back off and trust God for that? We've been doing this now for 15 years, never ask anyone for money at all. Never. We ran out of money the first 45 days that we were in Israel. And we couldn't even care for ourselves. And God began caring for my wife and I in Israel in a tiny room with a tiny bit of food every day, day after day, and then week after week and month after month. And then he started caring for some other people. And we went up to the war in 2006 in Lebanon war in the north. And we were able to care for hundreds of people there. And we never asked for anything, but God revealed what we were doing to other people, and we didn't reveal it. And, and God was doing these things and bringing in money that we never even knew how people heard about us. Some people would even say, I woke up in the middle of the night the other night, and I had a dream, and God was telling me about your ministry, and I decided to send some money. And so we go like, really? Halfway around the world, and God did that? And then it makes you feel good because you go, wow, God, you're really looking out for us, aren't you? He is, and He will, and He will never fail you. All things are His. You don't have to beg for money. You don't have to worry about if your provisions are going to be met. You don't have to worry about if you're going to have enough to eat. God's going to take care of you. You don't exaggerate or lie about your numbers that, do, uh, that your ministry does or about uh, the things that God is doing through your ministry. Just underestimate it and leave it with God. Don't lie about what God is doing. 
And then the third one is never speak evil of another ministry. Look for ways to praise them. Look for ways to help them. Look for ways to bless them. And God will bless you. The fourth one is what comes into play in our verses today. The fourth rule that Billy Graham had passed on, said these things are helpful for everyone in ministry. The fourth rule is don't ever be alone in a room with a member of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. So guys, don't ever be alone in a room with a member of the opposite sex that is not your wife's. Wives, don't ever be alone in a room with a member of the opposite sex who is not your husband. And especially today in this evil world, these rules are really important to any believer because there's people who are looking to destroy you, not because you've done anything wrong, but simply because you believe in God, because you're a believer in Jesus the Messiah. There are, look, there are people who look to any way they can to destroy you and they will make up any story they can and if you don't have an if you don't have the proof that you did not do that if you don't have the accountability with others to where there's someone else in that room with you and they can act as a witness on your behalf if you don't have this uh, safeguard in place there are people who will try to destroy your ministry simply because they hate God and they cannot stand the name of Yeshua or Jesus. But if you stand for Him, He will support you. Just don't let your feet go into these situations. Follow the wisdom and the truth of God, and He will care for you. Now Joseph, in his heart, knew that he should not be alone in that house with his master's wife and God gave him a warning in his heart. He didn't have the New Testament as we have today to tell him these things. He, he didn't even have the Old Testament, the Tanakh, as you will, or the Torah, to protect him. And that's why he ran out of the house, because he knew in his heart that this was not good. And sure enough, he ran out of that situation. And then sure enough, we saw later that that lady tried to ruin Joseph's ministry by lying about him and saying that he had attacked her when really she was the one who attacked him. And that's what I've noticed today, as we said earlier. <clears throat> There's a lot of politicians and people who will try to accuse the other side of doing evil that they themselves do. They try to project their own evil onto somebody else. It's ironic, isn't it? I mean, it's just outright hypocrisy that they're accusing other people of what they do instead. But they're not even admitting that they do it. They're just saying, oh, well, we are righteous and you're doing this, when really it's them that are doing what they're accusing the other of doing. But we see in this chapter that God allowed Joseph to go through trials, through the valley, <clears throat> and then on to the mountaintop. Then through another valley, and then on to another mountaintop. Joseph certainly went through the valleys, didn't he? He went from a family of trusted ones who betrayed him, betrayal to being carried away to a strange land, strange land being sold to yet another stranger, and then after working his way back into favor, he was falsely accused of attacking his master's wife. 
then cast into a prison. But even there, God started giving Joseph favor again in the prison, as we saw in the last part of this chapter. But look at the valleys Joseph found himself in. It seemed like Joseph's world had fallen apart. Here he was in a strange place, far away from home, with no one who knew him or cared about him. His freedom was gone. From now on, he would be doing whatever someone else told him to do. It would have been easy for Joseph to simply give up, to sit there in tears and anguish and blame others and maybe even try to blame God for the valley of trials that he found himself in. But nowhere in the Bible does it say that Joseph complained about his situation. Do you know that? Nowhere in the Bible did he complain. Joseph knew that whatever was happening to him was for some reason. He knew that God was still on his throne and that God knew everything that was happening to him and that God loved him and so that he would see him through all of this and bring him out the other side. Not just a survivor with scars and bleeding and beat up, but God would bring him out the other side far better off than he was before. And later we will find that God used Joseph's situation to bring about the greatest miracle the world has ever seen. The miracle of God's salvation to bring everlasting life to all mankind through what Joseph was allowed to do at the hand of God in saving Israel and his family, Joseph's family, so that the Messiah would one day come through their seed and give his life and for atonement for our sins. And that all who believe on him would not perish but have everlasting life. This is the Mashiach, the Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus, whom we're speaking of today. Here's what I'm saying. Like Joseph, you may be in a trial like you've never seen before, a trial so severe. It may look like there's no way out and that all hope is gone. But here's what I want to tell you. Don't forget this. God has not forgotten you. He has you there for a reason, and you have an important purpose for being exactly where you're at. And at just the perfect time, God's going to act to give you a tremendous victory. And on the other side of that valley is a mountaintop where you will be far above that valley that you just passed through. I live in a desert, but this desert is surrounded by these huge, tall mountains. Many of them are over 3,000 meters in height. Very large mountains, and I can see them. And they're beautiful, especially when they have snow on the mountains. But down below where I live, sometimes there's a big storm. And the storm clouds hide those mountains from me, so I can't see them anymore. I can't see them, but if I'm patient, eventually those clouds will go away and I'll see those beautiful mountains again. In the same way, when you're in the middle of trials, it's difficult to see the way out. When you're having a hard time in that valley and you can't see what God has you there for and you don't know what's up ahead, just don't give up. God will bring you up out of that valley and onto that mountain if you'll just not lose hope, if you'll just not give up, if you'll just wait for the perfect timing of the Lord, then He will lift you up and restore you and bless you greatly. Just let His plan unfold before you in His perfect time.
Why don't you give your life to God today, right now? If you call out to Him, He'll hear that cry, and He'll answer you, and He'll rescue you from that darkness that you're in, and He'll shine His light on your heart, and you'll be given a new life. He'll change you into a new person. Throw all those past failures away, and you'll be made completely new, given a new start. And He'll give you everlasting life in heaven, and that's guaranteed by God Himself. We want to give you an opportunity to know the Lord and to receive Jesus as the Messiah and Lord in your life. Receive God's peace in your life. You can be saved and given everlasting life in heaven by simply believing that God sent His one and only Son into the world to save us from judgment. Just pray something like this. You can even repeat it after me if you like. Just say, God, I do want to know you and have this real peace in life. I need your peace in life, Lord. I believe on your Son, Jesus Christ is Lord. Please forgive all my sins. I give my life to you. And thank you, Lord. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I'll tell you something. God heard you. And He's already started working in your life. You may not realize it, but a little seed's been planted deep down in your heart. And over time, you're going to begin to see the wonderful changes that God's making in your life. Get in a good Bible-based church. Learn about Him every day in His Word. Talk to Him every day in prayer. He's going to do beautiful things in your life. 